You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hen in Beijing. China is hosting an international forum in Beijing in a move to foster dialogue between different civilizations. The Inter-Civilizational Communication and Global Development Forum has attracted some 150 officials, business leaders, scholars, as well as cultural celebrities from over 30 countries. Chinese President Xi Jinping proposed the Global Civilization Initiative earlier this year, calling for international people-to-people exchanges and respect for the diversity of civilizations. So, joining us now on the line is Eric Sohain, former executive director of the UN Environment Program. Eric has participated in this particular forum through video link. Thank you very much for joining us, Eric. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Also, we have、uh, joining us on the line, Mr. Ina Tangen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. Thank you very much for joining us, Ina. A pleasure, Dave. So, Eric, to start with you, why do you think to China it is an important mission to foster dialogue and communication between different civilizations? I think President Xi made a very interesting remark at the Belt and Road Summit in Beijing a couple of、uh, couple of weeks ago. He said that China can only do well if the world is doing well, and that's I think a brilliant approach to the world. We are not isolated in our own spheres. We need to work together, and I think President Xi and China believes that whatever is the main issue. Climate change, environment destruction, wars in Ukraine or Palestine,、uh, restarting the economy after COVID,、uh, avoiding new pandemic—whatever is the big issue of our time, we need to work together,、uh, and then we need a dialogue across、uh, across civilizations.、Mm. So, Ina, turning to you, this global civilization initiative actually came after President Xi Jinping. Put forward two other ideas.、Uh, one is the Global Security Initiative, and the other being the Global Development Initiative. Those two initiatives represent China's mentality on how to create greater security and greater economic prosperity, which I guess is important to any country or any government. But with regard to this civilization initiative, what do you think this idea is trying to address? Well, I mean, it, it, there has to be some sort of、uh, structure when you start talking about a multi-polar world,、uh, where each country is a sovereign nation which has the right to determine its own future. That its future should not be decided in the capital of a, another country. And, and you know, the three parts of this is security. All countries should be secure. Their their security should not depend on the insecurity of others, and vice versa. Uh, there has to be a path of development, taking care of people, providing with them the, not only the basics, but the things that will give them hope and stabilize the society. And, and the last part is goes back to my first point: every country is a sovereign nation. Every country has a, its individual mix of you know cultures, history, philosophy, languages, literature,、um, you name it, and it's different, and it has to be respected and learned. So the global civilization initiative is really about this、uh, idea that there has to be respect between nations and also learning. I can't respect you if I don't understand you, and vice versa. And this is a very, very important part of、uh, what China is putting forward. 
Mm. So, Eric, um, some people say China is presenting this global civilization initiative together with the other two initiatives that I mentioned as a kind of a Chinese alternative to this Western-dominated,、uh, rules-based international order.、Uh, that's the analysis by some people. But what is your take on this? Well, I'm very sorry to say to my American friends that the so-called rule-based international order is a joke in the eyes of most of humanity. Look, I'm dramatically opposed、uh, to Russian occupation of Ukraine, but I'm also opposed to Israeli occupation through 56 years、uh, of Palestine. That's a principle stand. But being opposed to Russian occupation of Ukraine. But being fully supportive to Israeli occupation of Palestine—that's not a rule-based international order. And look, it was the United States and not China or any other power who withdrew from the Paris Agreement, from UNESCO, one of the most important UN entities, from the UN Organization for Palestinian Refugees, and basically also made the work in the World Trade Organization very, 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 very difficult. So there is no rule-based American order to speak of. That's just propaganda. But what we need to achieve is, of course, what Anna is speaking about. We are, we are moving into a multipolar world. The two most important powers in that world are the United States of China,、uh, America and China, but India, Turkey, Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, Russia. Everyone wants a say in that new order. And we need to make an order which everyone got a say, and where, which is based on two words, in my view: respect. We need to respect each other, and dialogue. Look, China will not adopt the American political system, but for sure, nor will the United States adopt the American political system. But we can still work together with mutual respect,、uh, and looking for where are the areas where we can work together to make the world a happier place. Hmm. So, Ina, would you agree in this point that some of these uh, uh, China proposed initiatives、uh, work better than this rules-based international order in terms of dovetail- dovetailing with the、um, multi-polarity that is emerging in the world today? Well, I have to agree with Eric. I mean, there is no. There's just the rule of America. There's no international order. I mean. Uh, the, the U.S. refuses to allow the WTO to to operate because it refuses to allow the appointment of appellate judges. And appellate judges are necessary in order to render final opinions that are binding, and they refuse to do that. That not just under Biden, but Trump and also Obama, and, and it really represents this、uh, turn away from this top down.、Uh, this is more bottom up. It's consensus. Not corporate, so it's not about getting 51 percent. It's about sitting down with nations and figuring out: Is it going to take longer? Yes, but in the end, you don't have the kind of aggravation of people walking away from the table saying, "Next time, I'm going to get my way," or "I don't really agree, and I'm going to fight this." So it's harmony, not hegemony, and it's an acceptance and understanding of differences, which is essential to harmony. I mean, I, I keep repeating myself, but I think it's so important. Um, in, in the past, you, you needed to know about the United States. You needed to know about your country and a few neighbors.、Uh, but under a, a multipolar world, we need to know a lot more about each other. 
And uh, otherwise, you, how do you respect somebody you don't understand? It's almost impossible. Mm. So, Eric, uh, the Global、uh, Civilization Initiative. I think、uh, when President Xi Jinping first put forward this idea, he made it very clear. This initiative maintains that peace, development, equity, justice, democracy, and freedom. These are really the common aspirations of the humankind. Now, of course, in real practice, I guess different governments, different、uh, regions, different countries have different approaches, including、uh, different social system, economic or political system, in order to pursue these very specific ideas or aspirations. So, what do you think is going to happen if there is no respect for the differences here? If there is no respect for differences, we will create a completely chaotic world with also a lot of potential for conflicts. Look, the the big issue, basically, every developing nations have been facing for the last one hundred years, is how can my nation modernize, meaning using the most important new technologies, whether it was rail building, artificial intelligence, or how can we move into modernity, but. Not modernize, but not westernize at the same time. First nation who really cracked this code was Japan.、Uh, Japan became very modern,、mm -hmm. uh, but for sure, it's never、uh, anything similar to the United States. Korea is now very successful, exporting their culture to the entire world, even in Korean language, and is one of the richest and most modern societies on earth. China is more Confucian. India may be more Hindu. Uh, Turkey, maybe more Muslim.、Uh, all nations are seeking to their roots, while at the same time embracing science and 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 new technologies. And that that's what we should、uh, that that's what we should look for, because nations who don't modernize will keep their po population in poverty. There is no alternative to modernizing, but every nation in the world also want to embrace and strengthen their own culture. If I allow me one really, really、uh, inspiring example from Chinese history, when when scholars asked who is the greatest emperor in the history of China, many people is pointed to Tang Taizong, who was emperor from 628 to 648 in the Western Wei reckoning. Look, he brought to Xi'an those days the greatest scholar of Buddhism, of Taoism, of Islam. Even Christians came from to Europe. And what did they do? He asked them to present their ideas for everyone to listen. Was not judging that one idea was better than the other, even if he may have had in his own tastes. And made Xi'an a vibrant intellectual center where every ideology uh, could uh, discuss with the other. That's、mm. what we want to achieve. I mean, we will not have the same values in the world. I mean, I will not become a Hindu. Most Chinese will for sure not become Hindus. Uh, but they have the deepest respect for Prime Minister Modi and his Hindu、uh, strength in India, for、mm. example. Okay, thank you very much. So, Ina, actually, Eric has just talked about some of the very important historical examples. He talked about、uh, the Tang Taizong, this great emperor in the Tang Dynasty uh, in the sixth、uh, or seventh century, more than a thousand years ago. Uh, as somebody who has been settling here in China for more than decades or more than two decades,、uh, do, based on your understanding of China, do you think this country, throughout its history as well as the present day, has been good at learning from other civilizations? 
Yes, uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, when you mentioned the Tang Dynasty, um, I was just returned from Taizhou, which is uh, the home of Hoha culture. Um, and, you know, what it was was Confucianism, Taoism, and Buddhism mixed freely in Taizhou under, under the uh, emperor system. And what happened is they learned from each other. They tolerated each other. In fact, they blossomed because from Taizhou, Bud- Buddhism was then moved to uh, Korea and also Japan, uh, where its, its roots are still uh, very much connected to Taizhou. So this idea that you have different ideas have to be uniform is nonsense. Culture is something that flows. It is something that is, you know, is revisited. It comes back and forth. It grows richer with time and understanding and correct application. It is wrong when somebody appoints themselves and says, look, I'm the only one who knows what's right. Everyone shall adhere to my idea, whether it's religious or political. It has never worked out. So when when you see opportunities uh, that are out there for people to have different ideas but still live in harmony, uh, China has shown that. And when you start looking at the Belt and Road Initiative, that is a concrete example. I mean, there, the people are joining together, not over ideology. They're coming together over security, over development, uh, and respect. And China, you know, Beijing is not telling these uh, other countries how to run uh, their, their countries, what to do. They're simply saying, we come in peace, we come in trade. Mm. So, Eric, I mean, ideally speaking, of course, everybody of us would like to see a scenario where uh, people learn from each other and while at the same time people respect each other, uh, each other's differences. That's the ideal situation. But realistically speaking, do you think there is a um, contradiction or conflict between these two uh, two things? No, really not. I mean, what was the genius of Deng Xiaoping? Uh, when he became the leader in China in 1978, he understood that China at the time was backward. I mean, it was much poorer than Europe, Japan, many other places. And he set out to learn. He himself went to Singapore, to Japan, to the United States, and he sent millions of Chinese students to all these places because he understood China need to learn from the world if we want to develop. Now, of course, it's completely the opposite way around. Of course, China can still learn from the rest of the world, but mainly the rest of the world can learn from China. Now other nations have brought more people out of poverty at at such a scale in such a short time as China, and China is now the world leader in basically every green technology. But the attitude of Deng Xiaoping was so important because that's difficult with all elites everywhere in the world. The idea that we need to learn we are not perfect. My nation may not even be the best, but I have a lot to achieve if I'm curious to what other nations have achieved. And it was difficult maybe for them, uh, but he did it and it has served China so well. And now the rest of the world should take the same attitude to China. We have a lot to learn from your experience. Hmm. So, Aina, one one point you talk about earlier is that, for example, when we talk about this Belt and Road Initiative, one thing nice about about this initiative is that um, China is now telling these partner countries, BRI partner countries, uh, what you should be look like economically or politically. But some people, for example, some American 
analysts or politicians might、uh, criticize China for accommodating bad governance in, in in doing so. What is your, how would you respond to to that? Well, the hypocrisy knows no bounds.、Um, if you start looking at the number of things that the United States has done、um, in the interest of American exceptionalism,、uh, backing、uh, questionable governments,、uh, providing them with arms and ammunition, for instance, right now in Israel, now every bomb and bullet、uh, that destroys、uh, human life、uh, is coming from the United States. Um, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer. I was a prosecutor and a defense attorney. I can tell you that if I supply you weapons, I know you're going to kill innocent people with. It's not only an act of terrorism, but I'm an accessory before and after the fact. If I continue to do that, so you know, at this juncture, for the U.S. to,、uh, to be saying that、uh, others are doing something untoward is nonsense. What China does is it does not go in and judge the every country. Has to decide its own future, and it can be very tempting to say, "Oh, I should tell them how to do do it right." But it hasn't worked. If it was going to work,、uh, the U.S.、Uh, post World War II order would have changed the world. Are we more secure today than we were back then? I would answer no. I would answer that the the edges of fraying, even within the United States, dissension, division.、Mm. Um, you know, you you have.、Uh, Large percentage of the people, 25 percent of the people who think that resorting to armed conflict within the United States might be necessary in order to restore their idea of what democracy is. I mean, it is inconceivable that、uh, you know people are saying these types of things. But mostly,、uh, it's an old trick, and, the, and Washington always accuses others of the sins you are committing.、Mm. So, by the way, Ina. How do you think a a country can keep learning from other countries or other、uh, civilizational patterns while refraining from losing its own genes? It's very simple. Don't don't have this、uh, arrogance to believe that you have all the answers. As long as you believe you can learn, all right, there is always possibilities. But the moment you become convinced that you all, you alone have the right answers and everyone else must follow you. Then you know you're in decline. I mean, personally, I came to China because、uh, in 2000, when I first came, everyone I talked to said, "I want to learn. We're behind. I, I you know, thank you for coming. We really need people to teach us." And、mm. that attitude is still here, a little less so. But as long as you keep that alive, this idea of discovery and learning,、uh, you can go far.、Mm. So, Eric, as a former UN、uh, environment official or、uh, environment diplomat, do you think China has learned anything from the rest of the international community when we talk about, say, environmental protection, and when we talk about the other way around? Do you think there is anything in China's、uh, conventional wisdom or philosophy that you think? Might be useful or inspirational to global efforts on environmental protection. Yeah, I mean, obviously, China has learned a lot from the rest of the world. Look, in 1978, China was one of the poorest nations in the world, was 180 on the ranking of、uh, of economies in the world per capita, much poorer than most nations in Africa. If China had remained、uh, under the Rule of the Gang of Four. Well, China would have remained poor. But then came then came Deng, 
with a new approach, a new economic policy, and he was inspired by what he saw in the West and tried to implement some of these aspects in China without embracing everything from the West. And it served China so well. And this attitude that we can learn, let's learn, we are curious, that's what every nation should really do. And now, of course, China is the world leader on every green technology. 60 to 80 percent of all solar, wind, hydropower, high-speed rail, electric cars, electric batteries are all in one nation alone. Uh, a week ago, I visited Seattle in, in Ningdo in Fujian province. Uh, that's the, by far the biggest battery maker in the world. And they are the lead nation and will be the most important technology for the future, how we can store electricity in cars, but for sure also from solar and wind. When the wind is not blowing, the sun is not shining, we need to destroy it. And this company well, has come from basically nothing to now dominating this field. And you can go on and go on. China is the lead nation on everything going green. Sorry to say the West have not really understood it yet. Many people in the West still believe China is the horrible, polluted place. It may have been 15 years ago. I mean, 15 years ago, I would never go jogging in Beijing. For sure not. I didn't want to inhale that smoke. Now you see the sky, you see the, you see the sun, and the air is fresh. China has basically won the war on pollution, and it's done it in a record time. So there's so much to be learned from all other actors in the world. So I can just tell my all my friends in Africa, India, and indeed the United States and Europe, please open your eyes. Please go to Beijing and learn. And then you may get some new ideas to can, you can take back home. And frankly, Western companies need to get up very early in the morning if they want to compete with BYD on electric cars, on CATL on electric uh, batteries, or for that matter, be longer on solar energy, or whatever it may be. Mm. Learning uh, across cultures are so essential. Okay, so Ina, when we talk about say this is something that Eric has uh, highlighted when we talk about China's leading position today uh, in green economy, some of the specific industries like solar panel, EVs. Uh, those landmark corporate names like BYD and CATL. Do you think they are these developments are the result of China learning from others or China working hard on its own, incubating its own industries? Well, let's separate. I mean, when I first came to China, the idea of environmental studies was very strange to people. They just said, you know, they didn't really understand you. You, you had a number of incidents where you had pollution, uh, rivers being poisoned, uh, milk being poisoned. People just didn't understand. They didn't have uh, an educational background where they could understand the cause and uh, consequences of what they were doing. But over the years, and it has, and what's really important uh, about it's not so much what China learned from the West, that a lot of the technologies were there, but China applied them and in mass. Why? planning. This is the major difference between China and so many other countries in the world. China plans. They have a, uh, a five-year plan, which is reviewed yearly. They have a, you know, a 10-year, 15, 20, 100-year plan. And that is something that is lacking because you, with, when governments change constantly, the plans change, the priorities change. 
And often a lot of work that was done before gets discarded until the next uh, next administration decides they want to go back to it. So China has it's the consistency of effort, uh, the willingness to say this is important, green energy is important, the environment is important, and then do something about it you know, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade. That is what makes a difference. Mm. So, Eric, um, historically speaking, civilization was sometimes was seen as a vocabulary used by colonialists because they branded uh, themselves as civilized people, and they have this mission. They have this even they they see it as a responsibility to civilize the uncivilized people in other parts of the world back then in history. What do you think is fundamentally different when China talks about civilization today? I mean, obviously, the word civilization used in that、uh, way was an absolute joke.、Uh, Western civilization forced, or the UK forcing China <laughs> to use uh, use uh, narcotics, being a global drug dealer, fighting opium wars against China, or. Orchestrating、uh, big hungers in India, killing millions of people—that、uh, kind of civilization was an absolute joke at the time. What we need now to do now is to focus on the best aspects of the different civilizations and how we can how we can live together. And of course, at any time in human history, until 1800, China was the most advanced civilization. During Han Dynasty, maybe the Roman Empire was more or less the same size, more or less the same population, more or less the same achievements. But at any at any other point before 1800, China was the most civilized, the biggest cities, the biggest empires, highest part of population you could read and write,、uh, best uh, living standards, whatever, whatever way you measure it. So China has been a dominant、uh, civilization in world history. But now the time has come to respect each other. Respect the Indian civilization, the Arab, the Western, and of course the Chinese, and the, the many, many others, and learn from from each other. And main difficulty with this is still the Western arrogance. I think it may have been Mahatma Gandhi who was once really, really destroying it. He was asked, "What do you think of Western civilization?" And he answered, "That would have been a very good idea indeed."、Uh, so, but Westerners still tend to believe that. Uh, or at least many that their civilization is superior. Why it has created yes some absolute achievements to the world, say the United States of America being the first republic in modern history, or United States bringing a lot of science and, and economic power to the world. So have, the West has brought a lot, but it has also brought a, brought a lot of havoc. And now we should focus on how we can work together, the different civilizations, and learn learn from each other because there's so much to be learned、uh, if you. As a Chinese looks to the west of India, or if you're、uh, from an,、uh, from the west, look to say China and India.、Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for putting a、uh, for putting this very complicated issue into perspective. And I, I guess going forward, definitely we need to keep learning while at the same time imparting our own knowledge to the rest of the international community as well. But thank you. That was Eric Sohain, former executive director of the UN Environment Program, as well as Ina Tangen, senior fellow with the Taihe Institute. You're listening to World Today. I'm Ding Hanin Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Bye for now.